Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue podcast Welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by my co-host, Nick and Dan. But no, Nick, Dan, it's just you. You're going to have to carry the weight of Nick. Well, look, it's it's hard to replicate that. But when you have an episode with Matt on the show, it really kind of works the seesaw in a certain direction. That's when you kind of bring in bringing the, the big guns here. So uh, I think we're going to be okay. I'm That's feeling right. the pressure, guys. I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> no need at all. No need at all. It is one of our Matt Loss specials that we are so fortunate to do. So we brought Matt in to talk about just a lot of different stuff. Maybe Chelsea's looming defender dilemma, Christensen, Rudiger, Silva, and others. Uh, the top four race. And Matt's current read and feelings on which clubs may or may not make it across the line and then tammy's troubles under tuchel or are they troubles and then lastly football reporting favorite chelsea player and more questions from the discord uh so dan let's go ahead and kick it off with some defender discussions well i think matt the way you put it in the tweet was was pretty apt that christensen's really been flawless since coming in for for silva and now that the the big defender decisions are starting to loom for chelsea so you know you mentioned the possibility of a four-year deal for christensen coming up but you know what are you seeing as uh the, the sands maybe are shifting in this conversation yeah. regarding defenders Chelsea have got themselves into a weird situation on defenders, actually. It's um, it's quite unlike them. And it only really sort of struck me recently that, that Aspilicueta, Rudiger, Christensen, all of their deals run out in 2022. Um, so at the end of this season, they'll all have a year left on their deal. Now Aspi, he's hit that 30 mark where you, you just get the one-year renewals and, and things. But it's a it's a, quite a unique situation for for Chelsea that I was, you know Arsenal used to get themselves into this situation and and, and Tottenham occasionally and Marina Granovskaya has been brilliant at, at avoiding this situation even with I must say players that they don't necessarily want to particularly keep for the first team but they tend to always protect themselves very well against these deals getting too close to the end so they've got a situation just in the fact of that in the fact that the, come come the end of the season three. Three guys who are now playing um, will have a year left on their contracts. Look, Christensen, I'm told there are expected to be some talks at some point, probably slightly before the end of the season. And Chelsea definitely want to extend his contract. I think they even wanted to extend his contract before 
this sort of renaissance under Tuchel because we've spoken before about the fact that he's always been rated by the club. Managers have had different opinions of him, but the club have always rated him very highly. Going back to the Michael Emanalo days, they've invested a lot in Christensen um, and they'll be delighted to see how he's playing now. So he, he will get offered a new contract and I would assume if things keep going the way they're going, he he will probably accept it. Um, although there is already interest in him and that interest will grow and potentially grow even more because he's going to be one of Denmark's main main guys in, in the Euros. And we know how tournaments can influence transfer markets. You know, if you have a good tournament, all of a sudden everybody wants you. Even if you're a good player, if you have a quiet tournament, it can kill off some of the interest. So I would imagine Chelsea would be keen to get his contract done before the Euros. Um to, to end the threat of that tournament, sort of making their negotiations more difficult. Um, Matt, within that, with, with that regard, uh, with Christensen, is it uh, abroad? Is it within England? You know, where where do his suitors mainly Oh, mainly abroad, from? mainly abroad. He's, I mean, he had a very, very successful spell at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. He's very highly rated within Germany. Lots of Italian, AC Milan have liked Christensen for a long time. Obviously, they have Tamori now, but he's liked in Italy. There's always been a theory with Christensen that were he to go to a Spain or an Italy, he would he would blossom into this world-class defender. And that was potentially used as a little bit of a slight on him, almost that he couldn't cope with England and that if he went to another league with less physicality, his his talent would would stand out. But I think his physicality has been good lately. I think he's 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 shown he can handle that. So hopefully that that stays. Rüdiger's an interesting one because Rüdiger, even when um, Frank Lampard wanted to sell him last summer, I mean Lampard was trying hard to sell sell Rüdiger. That's that's no secret. Um, the there were actually talks then about whether to extend his contract because they couldn't get a buyer for him or certainly a buyer at a price they wanted and they weren't prepared to send him out on loan um, when he had less than two years to run on his contract. So they actually talked about extending his contract then to potentially even send him out on loan or or keep him at the club. Um, At that time, Rüdiger didn't really want to talk about a new contract and wanted to see how the land lies. Now, he's 28. It'd be interesting with Rüdiger because even if he gets offered a new deal, in some ways it would make sense for him to see it towards the end and see how the land lies, see whether he's playing and also see whether he could get, you know, someone 28, 29 could get their last really big contract by being available on a free transfer. So Rüdiger himself, as well as Chelsea on Rüdiger, has got a big decision to make. And I would imagine an agent would actually be advising Rüdiger to, even if the club offer you something, probably wait it out a little while and and see what's out there for you. And then, of course, to Chelsea sign a defender. I mean, we've talked for a long time now that that one of their main targets for the, the this coming transfer market was was going to be a, a central defender, and you know, to my knowledge at the moment, it still is. But there's got to be an argument as as to whether they they really need to put the funds in in that in that direction. You know, they've kept five clean sheets on the trot. The back three doesn't look like conceding. They've swapped Thiago for Christensen. That's worked. They've swapped um, Rudiger for Zuma. That's worked. They've got Tamori out on loan at AC Milan, who they could bring back. You start to wonder whether they really need to spend sort of four, even kind of 30, 40 million on a central defender. And that'll be really interesting. I think that's something we'll start to ask Tuchel over the next few weeks. Um, 
as as we get a little bit closer to the summer because you do wonder whether plans will have to change in that department. I think it's you, I always go back to a lot of the discussion we had early in the season too, Matt, with like money's not moving as well. So, you know, before if it were an open market and, you know, you could offload and onload players, you know, yeah, probably Chelsea's always looking to bring in an upgrade. But in this sense, and the difficulty that Chelsea have had offloading players, that probably makes it far more difficult for them to to go out and try to find the next big or an established player as well. Um, so to, to that point, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I, I'm assuming the Silva one-year renewal is probably just a formality at this point. I don't think that's really going to shake up anyone's like concern no. for their own future, right? I don't. I don't think the silver one really comes into play in terms of what's happening with anybody else, right? Um, because you know he he can be used slightly sparingly. It's about his influence around the place. It's so positive. The only thing for him is, I mean, he he he's definitely been keen to just stay, and I think his wife even put something on Instagram recently, which hinted very clearly that as a family they're keen to stay. Only thing that would slightly get into my head was if he were to really sit on the bench for a long time because he's made it so clear he wants to play in the world, next World Cup. But I can't imagine Silva would be sitting on the bench so much that uh, that he'd be worried about losing his place in the Brazil squad. So, no, the only thing they've got, Chelsea, in terms of when I say they're, they're defending really well, do they need a defender? You know, Silva one more year and he's 36. Aspilicueta's now 30. Rudiger's 28, coming on 29. So there's a little bit of an age issue with, with some of them as well. Um, obviously not so much Christensen and Zuma. So they'll be thinking about that. It's, it's very much a kind of, it's, this is the kind of forward planning and things that the sporting, that Petr Cech will be looking at, that the sporting directors look at, because you don't want to wake up one day and all of a sudden your defence is getting a bit too old and you can't sell players at the right time and things. So this is where the strategy comes in. It is nice having two captains in your back line, Dan. My only concern, we've seen, to Matt's point, uh, Christensen in for Silva. We've seen Zuma in for Rudiger. What about the right center back? Do we have any depth there? Does Aris James get a run there? Like, what happens with the, with the Asby if he needs a break or if he's not cutting it? That's the the kind of probably place in the back line to have circled for, uh, needs something for contingency plan. I think that's that's a great point, and I think... I, correct me if I'm wrong. Even under Conte, they didn't really have Aspie had to just basically Iron Man single game. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a very specialist position he plays because a bit like Kyle Walker does when he plays it for England. Um, when England copied Conte's blueprint as well, it, you can't just bring in a great centre back to play that role because it relies so heavily on that player being able to not just step out of defence, but but be able to provide crosses, be able to provide an overload on one side, which clearly it's designed to do. A lot of the time, they're almost playing with with three right-sided players. You know, you'll have a, a, a wing back, you'll have maybe one of the two tens or something coming out to the right, and you'll also have Aspie. And it, it provides a real overload and it's a real weapon. You can see Reese's defending isn't good enough at the moment to play that role, but you could see he's got the build and he's got the capabilities that you would imagine that Reese, you could look at trying to mould Reese into that if you wanted to, because he looks like a player who could play that role in much the same way Kyle Walker has been able to for England and at times Man City. But you're right. I, I was thinking about this the other day and I came to the exact same conclusion that 
The other two positions, Chelsea are now very well covered. And having said that, I did think to myself that uh, Fick, Fick used to play right back, didn't he? So Fick for the right side of a back three, if he comes back, maybe that's the solution because he's got the pace. He's been used to playing at, at full back before, so you would hope he can come forward. Maybe that's that's fixed position in the future if he ever comes back. It, it very if well could be. If he ever comes back, the underline. Oh, <laughs> man. So Asby's 5'10", Reese James is 5'7 and a half. That's probably a bit of a concern on the height when it comes to defending. Um, but look, yeah, between Mark Gerhe, um, Fick, Chelsea have options. I think that's probably Tuchel. Tuchel's probably happy that they have too many players. At least he has like a pool he can pull from. He's already, I'm sure, building a board for the summer to figure it out. Um, but let's go ahead and, and look at the league writ large a little bit. So the top four race and, and teams coming out of nowhere, Matt. We just want to get your thoughts on this this top four race. You just were you at the West Ham match most yeah, recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I I shook it up a little bit. I decided to go and watch, I watched Chelsea on the TV. I managed to get to West Ham nice and early so I could watch Chelsea on the TV, and I decided to go and look at West Ham live. I, I always think it's from my perspective as a reporter, even though the sort of club I really delve into is Chelsea. I think it's sometimes important to just uh, get out the bubble and look at a little bit of other football sometimes. Um, and it was interesting to watch Leeds as well because Chelsea play Leeds next. Exactly, right? So with that being said, um, we can talk about the top four writ large. I'm interested in what your thoughts were on West Ham. Obviously, the match you went to, they beat Leeds 2 nothing. They are two points behind Chelsea with the game in hand. There's either nine matches left for some teams, a.k.a. Man City, or 11, potentially even 12 matches left for your Villa, Matt. A wide discrepancy. It's all coming down kind of to the the last little run here. Um, So, yeah, West Ham. Are they serious? Are they the real deal? West Ham have a tough run of fixtures coming up. But but what I would say is earlier in the season, they, they did very well in these corresponding fixtures. I mean, I remember at the start of the season... They lost at home to Newcastle in the first game. And then they had this similar run against United, against Arsenal, against City. And they did brilliantly in them. Um, And they do relish going up against the bigger teams. The the problem for West Ham, like the the problem for some of the other teams, is that they they have a very good um, 11 or 12, um, but they don't have the depth of the others. There are certain players that if West Ham get an injury in certain positions... um, it could finish them off completely, to be quite honest with you. So I probably don't see West Ham making the top four, but I do think they'll hang around. They're not, I, I don't see them just falling by the wayside. I think they'll hang around. And, you know, certainly Chelsea's trip to, to West Ham when it comes along in a few weeks will be a tough old trip there. Moyes has got them really well drilled. Lingard's a really smart loan sign in for them. He's just offered them a little bit of finesse up front. And, and yeah, I mean, they'll hang around, but I don't think they'll make top four. I think that they're too short in the squad. Dan, I've had some serious concerns. I mean, the good news is they play West West Ham play Manchester United, which should be a good litmus test for them. But, you know, they, they kind of have like every other match is a tough team. It's like they play Man United, Arsenal, Wolves, mid-table teams, then Leicester, Newcastle, then Chelsea, then Burnley, Everton. And they just kind of like have a, a clean run towards the end of the season, especially if they have this small squad like he's talking about. But this top four race, Dan, we talked about it on the pot ourselves, is absolutely insane. Yeah, I, I guess the the 
two other clubs. I'd like your thought on that. And obviously, I think we we would all admit that with our hands up in the air, that City is uh, going to walk to the the title here. You know, even if there's a couple of bumps, but. I think Leicester uh, kind of having a little bit of a just, you know, different run of form here. And then Spurs uh, with Harry Kane and Gareth Bale, surprisingly, uh, finding some rhythm here. You know, where do you see them? You know, I think are we going to see another Leicester dropping out at the end of the season like last year where they just don't have enough steam to get them over the end? Yeah, I do fear for Leicester. They're they're having that wobble that they had last year and they've got the injuries. Um, Vardy has dropped off a little. He's so important for them. Um, I do worry for Leicester, although they they came back, you know, the Burnley game the other night looked like they might trip up again and they ended up coming back well. So whether that gives them a bit of momentum, but I do fear for Leicester. I think the others will be looking at it thinking there are probably two places available in the Champions League places. Look, I, I've, I've said all along, I think Man United are in a false position. I think they're average. And I've, I've said that all season, and yet they keep picking up the odd result here and there. And their away form, in fairness to them, their away form in terms of results is incredible. Um, so I think that that City, that City won the other day is probably going to see them home. I'd, I'd be surprised now if they fell, fell so badly they fell out. So I think you're looking at two spaces being available. I think people will be looking at Leicester's space as being an opportunity. Um, I think Chelsea will be thinking they can finish third or even second, to be quite honest with you. Um, Tottenham's interesting. I mean, Tottenham three weeks ago were in all kinds of trouble. Absolutely terrible. And I've seen a lot of them recently. I'm actually going to the game tonight in the Europa League. Um, and they've clicked, but they've clicked against really bad opposition. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've, they've played Burnley, they've played Palace. And actually, the, the one opposition who gave them a test was Fulham. And Fulham in the second half outplayed Tottenham last week. Um, were very unlucky with a VAR decision. And we're all over them in the second half. And and that still bugs me about Tottenham. That they've, they've won three on the trot, but of those three teams, one, one of them's had one good half against them. And it should have been enough to maybe even beat them. Mm-hmm. So that worries me for Tottenham, that the balance still actually against the better teams won't quite be right. I'm not sure you can go Kane, Bale, Son and Dombele all in the same team when you're playing against better teams than, than they've been playing. So... That that will be interesting whether they can keep it going. But they've they've got some momentum. And, you know, all opposition managers always say this. If you've got Kane and Son, you've got a chance, you know. Yeah. You've always got a chance with Kane and Son, and, and particularly with Bale chipping in. So I think they'll keep going. Again, I think Tottenham will probably fall short. But um, because I think they will... Like, I, Interestingly, actually, they come to Villa in a week just before the international break, and I'll be interested to see how Villa get on against them because I think that could be a tricky game for Tottenham. So really the question, Matt, is how high can Chelsea go? Yeah, I mean, I've just answered that, haven't I? I, I, Chelsea certainly will be thinking third's achievable, and second isn't out of the equation. Look, I I still think, and I've, I've said this ever since his appointment, I still think there's, there's got to be a couple of choppy results. Otherwise, you know, he will have gone, well, we're up to 11 games unbeaten now. He'll have gone kind of 20 games unbeaten or something if they, they run in like they're going. So you've got to imagine that there's going to be a choppy result here and there. And how they respond to that will be the absolute key to everything because they, they were 17 unbeaten under Lampard and then everything just fell apart. 
we've seen with managers in the past, and I know it's a different Chelsea team at the moment, but we've seen in managers in the past that they things can be going great and then all of a sudden one result. How they react when they do get a defeat, which you would imagine is inevitable at some stage, um, will be the key to how, how high they actually finish. But I really think Chelsea are in the box seat to to finish top four of all, all the clubs we're talking who have been racing for it recently. I think the foundation seems to be a little bit stronger. The consistency is there, which is where I know Dan and I were highly optimistic when we were talking about this with Jenny Chu earlier in the week uh, about the, the possibility. But part of it, Dan, part of that comes down to not only a rock solid defense, but the ability to score goals. That has been always the biggest inconsistency and the biggest question. Tammy, uh, Holland, what are we going to do? <laughs> Giroud contract expiring. That's yeah, a very Tammy, broad entry into Matt. Like he didn't, he didn't kind of shape the question, Brandon. I was, I'm, I'm handing to you. You're uh, the striker well, watch expert. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know. I think we could take a break on Holland for a week, Matt. I know that uh, Thank we you. kind of. <laughs> um, but one of our members on Discord, uh, Bill of Rights, is asking just what's kind of happening with Tammy Abraham, and then when you kind of take a look back at what has happened for him under Tuchel, you know, so he gets uh, 13 minutes against Wolves, 45 minutes against Burnley, rides two matches on the bench against Spurs and Sheffield, pop back in, pop, pops back in for 20 minutes versus Newcastle, um, gets pulled early for kind of injury, plays 45 for Southampton, and then last three matches hasn't been in the squad, but you know, been you know, picked up a knock. Like, what? what is, what, what are the tea leaves telling you? <laughs> yeah, it's not been good for Tammy, Tammy at all really under Tuchel I've, I do feel sorry for Tammy um, look I, this this is a personal opinion I think he's I think he's actually undervalued at, at Chelsea um, you know they, they extended his contract by by a year which was the minimum they had to do last season because that was the option but he finished the season as top scorer I think he'd have been entitled to think maybe they'd have given him a, a proper new contract rather than just the extension option I know it's good business but I think most clubs with their top scorer would be giving them a, a new contract rather than just letting the extension kick in, which the in terms of the difference of money was pretty minimal as well. I mean, Tammy's a long way behind someone like Callum Hudson-Odoi, obviously. Um, so I think there's that. I think because he's come through the academy and because he's been out on loan, I do think he gets slightly undervalued. I think he's, I think he's been treated harshly by Tuchel. I think... When you listen to Tuchel's explanations over why Tammy's been left out about needing luck on the training ground and luck in games, and when you listen to his justification of why other players are, are being kept with and why he will keep giving to support to Timo Werner, I think, I think Tammy can feel hard done by. I, I think he can feel that he's not been, that there's maybe a bit of a, a different way of treating a few players here. Now, we don't see what happens on the training ground. So, for all I know, on the training ground, Tammy is not performing as well as everybody else, and, and that is completely fair enough. And that's why it's very difficult to criticise managerial squad and team decisions, because we do not see what's going on every single day. All we can judge it on is what we see with our eyes in games, or what we have seen with our eyes in games, and the stats and the numbers. And Tammy is the top goal scorer. He's got four assists. Giroud's got no assists, for instance. Um, Timo Werner's got one goal in 19 Premier League games now. 
Kai Havertz is still one Premier League goal. I am not giving him that goal against Everton. Sorry, everybody. And, um, <laughs> and if you just look at it through stats and through what you see in games, Tammy's not done any worse than anybody else up front. And therefore, it seems harsh. I can only guess that, that Tuchel's seeing something at the training ground he doesn't particularly like. But I don't know that. That's a complete guess because I'm in the dark over it and I'm confused by it. And I feel sorry for Tammy over it. And I do fear over the long-term sort of consequences it, it could have for his Chelsea career if not careful because he, again, the end of this year, he will have two years left. We've talked about this before because I wrote a piece about it. Lots of clubs looking at him, lots of people interested in him. Brendan Rodgers name-checked him from nowhere in a Leicester press conference the other day. It made all the Leicester reporters think that Brendan Rodgers has got an interest in him. And that's going to grow and grow. And what, what, what is also fact is I don't think there's another club in the country where the top scorer last season and the top who is also top scorer this season would be left out of the squad. You know, Tottenham were leaving Deli Alley out of the squad and Gareth Bale out of the squad. Completely different situations. They hadn't been putting the numbers in. You can't imagine for one minute another club with a top scorer leaving them out of the squad. It's just unimaginable. And, and that in some way tells you the strength Chelsea have in, in depth, but also maybe tells you another story as to why Tammy could feel, you could have sympathy with Tammy if he felt undervalued. So the the we've talked about this with you again, Matt, and I pulled up the it's only gotten better for Tammy. He's in all competitions, Chelsea's leading goals goal scorer, twelve goals, four assists. Uh no no PKs, which is always good. Olivier Giroud with eleven goals, one penalty, no assists. Timo Werner, ten goals, seven assists, but we know a lot of that is coming in the cup competitions. Even in the Premier League, he's sitting at the top of the list, was tied with Jorginho on six, but we know all of Jorginho's has come from pens. Then you've got Mason on five, Timo on five, Kurt Zuma and Olivier Giroud on four. So to your point, I think, Dan, you've even broken it down here, kind of like the last run of games. Like, Dan, just remind us on, like, the minutes and the goals and, and what he has or hasn't been given as opportunities. Yeah, I mean, he had the, the one goal versus Barnsley, and that was the only goal he's been able to put together under under Tuchel so far. The rest were, you know, either sub-appearances. I mean, he did get the opportunity to, uh, you know, start in a few of these games, but, you know, also came off uh, injured or got, you know, the early halftime hook um so just it's just interesting it's an interesting situation and obviously Tuchel's taking time I think to explore you know a couple of these games you know Wolves Burnley I mean those are two first matches here at the club and he's coming in right at the moment to try to figure it out and he doesn't have the benefit of all the training time I think the other thing that that Tammy would find hard to stomach about it as well is that it you know before the Everton match I think that the previous two games he was left out on Tuchel had two left-backs on the bench. Um, yeah. He had Alonso and Emerson, which is, is pretty unusual. And Emerson, you know, let's face it, hasn't started a Premier League game since sort of last January or something. He's not, he's not what we would call a huge contributor. Um, so he's had two left-backs on the bench without having Tammy on the bench. And then against Everton, he had two centre-backs on the bench um, because Thiago came back. And you wonder... That, that that means within their matchday squad for the Everton game, we're, we're counting Aspie as a centre-back because he's playing in the back three. They had five centre-backs in that matchday squad, which seems like overkill. Now, look, Thomas Tuchel is clearly an exceptional world coach. We, we're seeing that. 
and it seems vaguely ridiculous for me to be commenting and questioning his squad setup. But all, all you can surmise is that Tammy will look at that and, and wonder wonder why, wonder why they need two left-backs on the bench. Why do they need five centre-backs in the squad? And, and why can't he get on the bench? And, you know, if, if Rüdiger needs resting for the Everton game, fine. So why does he need to be on the bench? It's all these kind of things that are playing into it. That It, it seems a little bit inconsistent. But the, the big thing is, is that Tuchel sees everything that's going on every day. And he is unbeaten. They're winning games. And while you're unbeaten and you're winning games, you can pretty much do what you like and no one can question it. It's fair. Results-oriented business, uh, like most are, actually. So um, I think that the two hardest ones for me, Matt, are, would, being, would be to be Tammy and have the hook at halftime a couple times. I, I think I was listening to Rob Green on the BBC talking about, or maybe Sky, I can't remember, and he was talking about you really want solidity at the back, but the further up the pitch you move, there's more kind of volatility or more like rotation and change. We're seeing that with Tuchel. We know what the back five, back six, back seven are, but those front three, mm. that is where you're constantly seeing change from him and he's tinkering and, and changing things and trying to figure it out. So look, hopefully Tammy can get back to 100%. Hopefully he can get into, uh, you know, a good training regiment and get back and and kind of see how it goes. But hey, we're gonna take a real quick break. When we're back, ladies and gentlemen, we have listener questions from Discord. So thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Dan. Since you gathered said questions, I feel like it's only fair to let you tee these up. Uh, the beautiful people of Discord. Yeah, it was uh, interesting when we kind of put the put the call out, Matt. You know, some more structural questions, maybe a little less Chelsea specific around the. You know, Gabriel was kind of asking more about like how how does the story actually end up coming together? Um, you know, uh, you know, more around like the off pitch matters, right? When you're at a match, you're reporting. I think it's pretty straightforward that you're watching mm. the game and you report on what you see. Uh, but the the transfers, uh, manager rumors, player problems, uh, you know, this kind of was generated by, you know, Gabriel saying, like, why are we already seeing like these Pulisic is going to go elsewhere type of stories? Uh, so just, you know, I, I think people want to kind of understand, like, how do, how does a story come together for you? There's this, well, there's, there's not kind of a template for this. There's not one way. And they can be very thought out and planned in that you... Um, you see a situation whereby you decide to ring certain contacts and very specific contacts. So, you know, if, if player X hasn't been playing a long time, you might, you might ring his agent or you might ring people around him who you know and, and make a very concerted effort to, to get information about his situation. Equally, you can be having a, a, a very general chat with, with people in the know about things who will suddenly say things that you then decide to act on and, and go and inquire about elsewhere. And then, and then thirdly, people will occasionally approach you about, about stories when, when they've got to a situation whereby they feel it's beneficial either to themselves or to the club or to whoever to, to try and get something made public. So there's no one template. The only one thing is it, it's all about is it's all about contacts. You know, it's all about talking to people. It's all about keeping in touch with people. It's about people knowing you're there it's about people valuing what you can give them and what you bring rather than necessarily valuing a rival. It's so many things and it takes a, it takes a long time to get into a position. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly haven't got it cracked, but um, 
it takes a long time to get into a position where you, you've got that sort of broad base of, well, if you want to pick up the phone to someone, you know who you can pick up the phone to. You know who you can have a general chat with and something interesting might come out of it. And equally, you trust that there are certain people who, if there's some really big news going on and they can, they might give you a call and, and point you in the right direction. I'm just trying to imagine how all that works. There's some probably some pretty juicy stories that have, have flown around. You know, but at the same time, it's probably the the small ones getting getting the little things right too and kate asked that kind of like on sourcing it's and it, you kind of touched on it there right it's you you have your validation process you know the they, they talk about it as clickbait which i'm sure is cringe to your ears matt hearing hearing that term that's been kind of spread due to what i would call social media authoring not even journalism but you know people kind of just putting things out there in social media so i'm sure you take your sources and validation and credibility of those highly highly regarded very important to you yeah very important and you know um sometimes what you don't write is important is just as important as what you do write you know there's, there's so much out there now it's really difficult you know it was it was much easier before you know 10 years ago when you didn't have this constant sort of social media rumors and Rumours from everywhere about everyone. You know, as you say, yesterday it's Pulisic, today it's someone else, and tomorrow it's someone else. And I can see how young journalists or inexperienced journalists can can easily get caught into a, a cycle of writing everything because you're so worried about missing something. You're so worried that, you know, well, if you don't write this Pulisic story that's around from somewhere yesterday and all the Chelsea fans are talking about it, well, what if it ends up being true? You'll look like an idiot. So I, I can see how that's very difficult, especially especially for inexperienced journalists now. And I honestly, one, one, if I try and talk to people and advise people, I would say that what you don't write is just as important as what you do write. And to try and not get tempted into write, write what you know and let other people write what they think they know. Never try and get tempted to, to sort of mix it up in the middle and, and start writing things you're not sure about because that's when things can get very tricky. Well, and, and I think maybe the the difference, you know, we've got a large uh, American listenership and uh, th I think there maybe is a, a little bit more broad acceptance of uh, fungibility of the truth sometimes in the U.S. versus the uh, libel and, and slander laws in particular in the U.K., where I, I do think that's maybe held to a little bit of a higher standard in terms of, you know, if you if you write something that's, you know, pretty untrue, you can be held personally liable, correct? Oh, yeah. And, and you know, if you it's even less than that. I mean, that that's going to the, the top degree with it in terms of you can get sued and, and sacked and, and all sorts. But much smaller than that, you know, if Chelsea have... A, a real issue with something that, that you write. And if Chelsea are absolutely adamant something you write is wrong, even if they don't want to go to court over it, they can still make you retract it. And there's, there's, there's all kinds of ips. It's called Ipso over in, in England, and it's, it's a, basically a news, newspaper standards law. And there's all kinds of routes they can go through to either make you take something out of a website, even months after you know, if they see something months after that, they say, no, we are adamant that this is untrue and we have proof to show it's untrue. We don't want to go to the court, but we want this taken out of the online report so it's never repeated again. They can do that. And you also would have to put a note onto the bottom of the online report that such and such has been deleted because, you know, Chelsea at the request of Chelsea or the request of Aston Villa or the request of Arsenal. And all. So there's lots of, there's lots of, lots of things clubs can do. They tend not to bother doing it on transfers 
because the problem you have on transfers is that what's not true today could end up being true tomorrow. So, and I've had this with clubs. I've had this with clubs um, whereby I have rung up clubs about various transfer tips or rumours and been told, absolutely not, no way. And the next week, they've signed the player. In fact, it happened to me on Carlos Vinicius with Tottenham this summer. Early in the summer, I got told that Mourinho was looking at Vinicius. The club told me, no, he is not among our top targets. One month later, they signed Vinicius on loan. I obviously went back to the club and said, what's happened? And I can only accept their version of events. And they say, look, he was well down a list and we've ended up getting there. And when we told you he was he was not among the, the targets, that, that was true. And, and things change. It's a moving piece. So that's why a club is very unlikely to start being too precious about transfer rumours because they know it's such a movable beast and it's a very dangerous game to play. It's also why clubs will very rarely comment on transfer rumours either way as well, even to confirm them. Because, again, you can say that a club's about to sign a player and within five hours the whole thing's fallen apart. Hey, William, right? William came, and, came and the, to the Tottenham, one, literally. The one, yeah. The one I got burned on was David Louise coming back. I think, I don't know whether we've spoken about this on a show before. I've spoken about it sort of publicly before. That was on the, right at the end of a transfer window. I think Sky Sports ran a rumour that, that Chelsea were looking at David Louise, but they didn't say he was definitely coming back. I rang an excellent contact, I must say a superb contact, who said, absolutely not, no way he's not coming back. I said, am I even sort of, can I be confident enough to report he's not coming back? Because Chelsea fans are going wild at the fact that David Luiz might be coming back. Yeah, 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 report it, it won't happen. This wasn't Chelsea, by the way, it's just an excellent contact. Um, And then overnight, sort of, it doesn't go away, the rumour doesn't go away. I ring the excellent contact in the morning, having already written in the paper that Luiz won't come back. And he sums and he says, "Look, I owe you a massive apology. It, it's happening, and I can only apologise. And I was wrong, and things were at a stage that I didn't know. And and you know, the guy, we both ended up looking silly over it, and but we had to kind of accept it and and quickly do a. They call it in the industry a reverse ferret, where you have to quickly turn turn the other way. Oh, Thankfully, I- it hasn't happened to me much, but David Louise is probably my most famous example." Yeah, I love it. I love that terminology, especially the David Luiz one. I mean, he was such a fan favorite, such a splash. Like, you know, he literally coming in under the guise of midnight, you know, through the airport, getting the photos. And it it was, you know, that deal was obviously being done very quietly. Fair play to Sky, who got a rumor on it. But it was being done at the highest possible level without Mm -hmm. people very underneath sort of knowing about it and without sort of, outside good sources knowing about it which they often do and then yeah you're you're sort of left exposed a little bit but but fair play it's the nature of the beast unfortunately transfer stories are horrible no reporter likes having to do transfer stories i guess i was the the, maybe the follow-up matt is just with the you know we kind of talked about the advent of social media and the always on reporting now particularly like with the impact on the transfer conversation just how many more rumors do you have to sort through today versus well, you know, five or six years ago? Fortunately, I'm at a stage in my career whereby I don't have to jump at everything any, anymore. You know, 
If if Chelsea, you know, let, let's just take this as an example because it's the most recent one. If Christian Pulisic does end up leaving Chelsea in the summer, which, look, personally, I don't think he will. Um, it's not the end of the world to me if someone else got that story now. You know, I've, I've, I've had enough Chelsea stories in my time. I know I will get more Chelsea stories. My reputation or my standing at my newspaper is not going to rise or fall on on one or two transfer stories. So I can be a bit more relaxed about it these days. And, and I'm in a fortunate position to do that. Back in the day, you know, take me back 10 years ago when I was younger and I, I wasn't so established, you know, you were, you were having to check all of these out. You're having to make a call on every single one. And it's difficult because you're hassling people who can get very, you know, for want of a better phrase, pissed off with you, keep ringing them, asking them about various different transfer rumours. Um, but when you're at a stage where your career can rise or fall on it, you don't feel that you can take that risk to miss one. Whereas when you're a bit more established, you can pick and choose what you get involved in a little bit more. I think the the answer to that question, Dan, would be infinite amount of rumors today <laughs> if you uh, yeah. follow social oh. media. Um, all right, just a couple layups here at the end. It, the from at egm underscore dollar sign f we won't be tracing him back to to where he works uh but matt says do you have a favorite chelsea player maybe you have a favorite player that you've had the chance to interview or profile i think we've kind of talked about this a little bit but he's saying even though you're villa fan is there a chelsea player that's kind of won your heart over yeah, look it's a boring answer but eden hazard i mean there's there's some players who you just feel very privileged to watch every week and when eden hazard in his kind of last, well, he had like a dodgy season in the middle, but sort of last three or four years, you just felt privileged to be able to go and watch him and report on him and talk to him and just be around. You know, you knew that he was probably the third best player in the world and you were reporting on a club who you got to watch him every week. You got to talk to him in mix zones. You got to see him at close quarters. It was just a real privilege. It was just fantastic and just watching him was just you know just like you guys you know you know for well what it's like watching Eden Hazard it was just amazing um I, I mean fortunately Chelsea have had so many superb players and and you like different players for different things um I mean look he, he divides opinion as a man but John Terry is a very different player to Eden Hazard but again watching John Terry incredible incredible Ashley Cole incredible and do you know what Ashley Cole is actually one of my favourite guys to interview, even though he never talks to the press. When he used to talk to the press, Ashley Cole is a lovely guy to talk to the press when he when he wanted to, and, and a really interesting guy. And I think now people see it on his punditry. Unfortunately, because of the uh, the stuff that got reported on in his private life, he he stopped talking to the press. But before all of that happened, and when when he had a better relationship with the press, he was a great guy to talk to. I, I could see that with Ashley. I'm so glad he's doing punditry and things in the media. I mean, the the mindset and just what he has to offer is, is fantastic. Uh, JT literally willed himself to being one of the best defenders in the world. Like, relentless, never gave up. He held such a high standard uh, on the training pitch. You knew that he would bust up anybody, Drogba, Lamps, if they weren't at it for the day. Uh, and he'd take it if he were there too, so... Uh, that that's yeah that's pretty interesting thankfully we were blessed to your point to have a very kind of long list uh, of, of players that you could pull from Dan the final ultimatum 
Well, it, it looked listeners are trying to divide us, uh, Matt. They're trying to divide your affection. Uh, <laughs> B. Jonescu was asking, who's your favorite pod host? And <laughs> My favorite uh, pod host. Do you know what? I've, I've, got, to, I've got to confess, I, <laughs> I find it very difficult to have time to listen to pods. You know, I have a wife and a family and football takes over everything in this household as it is. And um, I try and listen to the odd. I listen to you guys when I go for a run. I like the Peter Crouch podcast on Radio 5 Fantastic. here in England, which is good because that's just different. It's just it's just silly and funny. Um, and I, I, the only time I really ever get to listen to a pod is when I'm on a run. So I'll go mm. for a run maybe three times a week and I'll, I'll try and listen to those. Um, but yeah, I, some, I think people who actually don't report on football probably actually get to watch and listen to more more football around around the things because when I'm not actually at a game, you know, it's difficult to justify to my wife if it's not Aston Villa that I'm I'm going to just go into the other room and spend two hours listening to another football podcast or something. <laughs> seems seems reasonable, seems fair, but we'll take instead of our your affection for one of us, we'll take the fact that we're in the top three. I mean, us and Peter Crouch <laughs> podcast that's one of the biggest football podcasts around. I top love three. it. Top three, or but probably more realistically, the only three I really listen. You know, <laughs> hey, it was all going so well. <laughs> no, by default, that works. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's been another wildly enjoyable time getting to chat with you and and poking around that that big brain of of yours and everything coming Chelsea in top four. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. See you again. All right. Well, anyways, listeners, go follow Matt. Check out his weekly newsletter. Uh, this last one maybe stirred a little bit of controversy, maybe a little bit of debate, but we got to tell you to read it before you comment on it. Anyways, uh, another big match at the weekend. Early one for us over here stateside. So that's going to wrap us up. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.